0: Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle.
1: And this is your host, Peter.
0: Hello and welcome to Funk Radio. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. We need to do, like, we need to get, like, those WWE, like, echo machines or whatever. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble or whatever.
1: Hello, listeners. <laughs> um... What are we doing? Oh, so um, t- today we're going to talk about um, a topic I've actually wanted to do for a long time, but I think it got buried in our document w- list of ideas for like a year or two. <laughs> nice. Because I realized recently that like, oh shit, I wrote that down like forever ago, but now I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And part-, part of the reason that was, th- it kind of sparked a memory for me was the last episode was uh, Vaporwave, which the musical artists within that genre pull a lot from nostalgia and even try to like invoke it in the listener as well. I feel like, mm-hmm. and we, we discussed that in the prior episode, but that kind of got re- remembering of like, Oh yeah, I wanted to do this kind of like open-ended discussion on how music and nostalgia are kind of in- intertwined. I'm hoping that we'll, we'll have some interesting discussion just throughout this. Cause I feel like you and I, even just from our personal experiences can probably recount certain things or just have certain opinions on that but i also try to do a little bit of research and find some other good points that have made been made by others as well mm-hmm. um so uh i i guess before we get into the any of that stuff though i mean just just kind of from a high level high level overview kyle it, you know n- not necessarily even like specific examples but like would you would you personally say in your life that you know certain songs have triggered like certain nostalgic thoughts
0: Oh, 100%. I feel like with our generation especially, uh, we're very much steeped in our own nostalgia. And there's Mm. so many songs I hear, whether it's a song that I remember being really popular in high school or a soundtrack from a movie that was popular when I was a kid or Mm. a video game soundtrack, you know, opening tune or whatever, that will bring back nostalgic memories for me of like childhood or being in high school or just a simpler time yeah in the same way that like smells can kind of bring you back to places i feel like music and sound can do that just as powerfully
1: oh yeah absolutely i would say that that's probably the case for practically every human music in some form or another can invoke those fond memories of the past Mm -hmm. and I i guess one of my main Questions going into this that you know we'll talk about in a minute or two is, in terms of like how our brains work, like how how does how does music correlate to those memories and like you know, you know what I mean, like neurologically, how do those two intertwine? I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that concept is sort of interesting to me. So I guess to kind of define nostalgia in general, there's a good How Stuff Works article that talks about like the history of nostalgia and like just what it means and all that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: In their article, they say that a Swiss doctor coined the term in 1688. Johannes Hofer was observing Swiss soldiers stationed abroad when he noted some of them were depressed, anxious, and couldn't stop thinking about home. He called it nostalgia from Greek nostros, meaning return home, and algos, meaning pain. In other words, homesickness. Mm. So the earliest real definition of this is really from soldiers who were in the war and like were wanting to be home basically Mm -hmm. in in these early days of nostalgia being kind of observed in these soldiers Mm -hmm. um it was actually for a long time treated as like an illness or like something bad that had to be like slapped out of them basically
0: almost like a like a deficiency like a mental illness
1: yeah like why do you keep thinking about home like you know focus on what you need to be doing so obviously that's not very constructive for yeah. mental health. But I, I found that interesting that like it, it, early on it was considered like this really bad thing. But obviously, 1688 was a long time ago. Society has changed in our outlook on the mind and mental health has changed as well. So obviously, you know, we don't have the same view of it today. the The definition today is more along the lines of it says. The nostalgic state is bittersweet, a mixture of the happiness of mentally reliving cherished times and the sadness of knowing they're gone forever. But our recollections aren't quite accurate. We often unconsciously edit out any bad stuff. In this way, past events and emotions we nostalgize about never really existed. Hmm. And I suppose that's something that probably a lot of us know, at least if we give a second thought to the whole thing, is that like, yeah, we we kind of look at the past with uh, Rose colored lenses mm-hmm. you, you know, we have a tendency to remember the good things more so than the bad things. and I don't remember why that is. I think that might be like a um like a self-preservation thing almost like if you focus too much and I think it's similar thing to even like why we don't think about death that much either. Mm-hmm. I think scientists have found that it's kind of like a self-preservation thing like if you get too emotionally wound up about death or about like the bad things in your past, like, I don't want to say you could die from that, but you would certainly be much worse off.
0: Yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what PTSD is. It's people becoming, in the present, emotionally and sometimes physically crippled by remembering past traumatic events. Yeah. So, So, yeah.
1: And I didn't do any specific research on that um, here, but I I seem to be recalling that that was at least a possible reason for why we tend to remember the good times
0: yeah yeah it's it's rep- what do they call it repression when you repress bad things and so then the only yeah. memories you remember consciously are good things
1: yeah um, another interesting point that this made that I hadn't really thought about before was that they because they they say oh you know it's remembering the good things which we all kind of know that's what it, nostalgia is but they also add in the qualifier that it's the sadness of knowing that those things are gone forever. Mm -hmm. And I've never really, like, consciously thought that, but that is true, too.
0: Yeah. I mean, certain cultural things, you know, aren't gone forever, like movies you experienced, video games you experienced, whatever. You can always replay or review those things, but certain memories that are tied to them, whether it's, oh, I got this video game for my sixth birthday, and I remembered all my friends being there, and those are childhood friends that I don't talk to anymore, or...
1: Or this song reminds me of a past relationship.
0: Exactly.
1: Even if you can still listen to that song, like obviously you can't necessarily be in that same place in your life. So it's just sort of an interesting phenomenon, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's one of those things where we only focus on this nostalgia in the sense of, you know, it makes us happy, but Mm -hmm. it's like there's a flip side to it. It's like, you know we were happy we were happy then and we're using that past happiness to replace being happy now i guess there was a mm. there was a tweet i saw a long time ago it kind of spoke to me because it 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 encapula- encapsulates a lot of nostalgia especially for our generation right now and it was mm. something to the effect of like you don't love disney you just haven't been happy since you were 10 huh and it's like you know us as adults feed so much into like our childhood culture from the 90s and early 2000s, whether it's, you know, still being obsessed with Disney and superheroes and comics and Legos and video games and whatever. Yeah. And it's all us holding on to things that made us happy in the past because we haven't found things to replace those in the present to make us happy.
1: That's really interesting. It's also kind of depressing to think right? about that. But.
0: It's super depressing when you think too much about it. But
1: Yeah. Something I was thinking about, as well. Um this ties back slightly with the previous episode is that like I think because we did make a mention of this in that episode of like in the last five to ten years there's been a lot of like popular resurgence of eighties stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting into the point where we're starting to see resurgence of nineties stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of plays to the generation that's now you know in their 30s roughly. Mm-hmm. And tied to that I'm starting to to think about how like nostalgia is is different than it might have been for people like 50 years ago because we have access to like pretty much any song, movie, TV show ever made. Mm-hmm. So like any kind of like pop culture media sort of stuff, we can access almost any of that again instantly yeah. <laughs> in a way that like someone living in the 50s if they grew up with some song like from 1920 whatever, it's not like they can just go look up that song on Spotify. Like, it could be that they would never just hear that song again. True. For, you know, I, I'm exaggerating maybe slightly, but, you know, certain things, I almost feel like we we almost can be, have nostalgia triggered more often now.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like because, because it's so we easily have accessible. have more access to those older things. Exactly. It's like because it's, it's always accessible for us, we're more easily triggered by it and therefore get more wrapped up in it where prior generations maybe didn't, didn't yeah. have the same sense of nostalgia because they didn't constantly have the th- things triggering those memories for them whether it be self-imposed or whether it be through media yeah. you know capitalizing on their on their own nostalgia i think that's a big part of it too with our generation is yeah you know me- media and cultures is realizing that nostalgia is such a powerful motivator especially mm-hmm. for to get people to spend money
1: yeah I, I i don't think either of us would say like oh this is the first time period where like people Have capital like people have been able to capitalize on nostalgia. I think it's just certainly a lot more widespread now and more common than you Mm -hmm. might have seen before. Because even someone like you know, if you think of someone like our parents' age, it could be that once they got to the point in their life where they were financially stable and stuff, then they you know you see like oh they go back and buy some cool car from you know that they remembered as like a teenager or something. And that that's kind of a yeah, way of, yeah, acting upon nostalgia, I guess. Um, and you know, I don't think as yeah. many people our age are doing that specifically as much as like, oh, I'm going to go on eBay and buy a N64, or I'm going to try to collect all the original Pokemon cards. Exactly. Or like
0: that. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, it's like we grew up in the '90s. What iconic cars from the '90s are we going to go back and buy that? you know, are cool.
1: So I guess thinking a little bit more about like how music specifically ties into nostalgia, because this is music, uh, music podcast after all. I, uh, I, I've, so I've, a couple of the articles I read actually referenced a study in 1999 by uh, three people, Matthew Scholkind, um Laura Hennis and David Rubin. And basically, and I'll read a quote. This is kind of like paraphrasing the abstract from that study, but basically it, Um, was quote very long-term memory for popular music was investigated older and younger adults listened to 22nd excerpts from popular songs across the 20th century the emotional ratings were highest for songs from their youth however the stimuli failed to cue any many autobiographical memories of specific events there was a significant positive correlation between motion and memory and this is something we were kind of uh, alluding to before Mm mm-hmm music seems to have a very close connection with like how our brains store memories. And this study that Mm -hmm. they performed in 1999 kind of showed that in a, in a broad fashion. I I, I think no one would be too surprised of the fact that like they said, Oh, the, the, they had the biggest emotional response from songs from their youth. Mm -hmm. But I, I found it interesting that they said that it failed to, cue a lot of like specific memories it was more of like a feeling of a time period versus oh this song takes me back to this specific thing and i think nostalgia kind of does work in that way especially with music too
0: yeah it can be more what's the word broad rather rather than you know tapping into specific memories it can just tap into a feeling uh, yeah. a feeling of wonder lust you maybe had as a kid or something
1: yeah because i like if you played a song from like when we were say in like middle school, for example. Mm-hmm. I you know depending on what the song was, obviously I I would absolutely have like a memory coming like pulling me back to that time period of my life. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I highly doubt there would be any specific moment where I was like, oh yeah, that w- I that song reminds me of the day that this thing happened. It would be more like, oh yeah, I have vague memories of like this time period of several years, you know? Yeah.
0: And the interesting other side of this, at least musically, Mm. and I I forgot where I read this. I don't. I I think it was a study. As people age, and basically, you know, starting in their late twenties to early Mm thirties, they found that people are less willing to accept current music that's popular, and they're, Mm. they're they're less likely to enjoy it. And it works. You know, it's the same for every generation. You know, the things that were cool when I was a kid or when I was a teenager. Are forever cool, and anything that's current sucks. Right. And basically, like everyone reaches that point, and they found that that point is around you know late twenties to thirty, hmm. when basically your ability to kind of take in new music and take in new experiments and sound, or just you know, whatever pop music, whatever it may be, yeah, is limited because I guess your brain isn't as open to kind of ingesting that new information as it is when you're, you know, malleable in your, you know, when you're a kid and into your teens. Yeah. That's kind of why everyone has that sense of like, you know, once you age, you kind of get to that curmudgeonous point of, you know, everything's in the past is awesome. Everything that's current sucks.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think a lot of that does have to do with nostalgia too, because like you already have these good feelings tied to that older music. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, why would I, like, why would I adjust myself to listen to this new music, which I don't really, it doesn't make me feel anything, or it makes me, you know, feel not pleased when I already have this thing that makes me happy. So, you know, I I think there's probably even a lot more, like, complex psychological things going on there, too. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's fairly interesting. That's a fairly early age, too. That's earlier than I would have expected.
0: Right. I don't remember where I read it, but it basically, like, found that, in general, people start to lose that ability to kind of be receptive to new musical stimuli, I guess, and kind of consider an artist like, hey, that's pretty cool, or hey, that sounds cool.
1: I, I've personally never, and you know this about me, I've never personally been, like, all up in the pop music or even any anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I have an active disdain for mus- today's music, but I have noticed that I'm less and less in tune with what that actually is. Cause mm-hmm. like, I don't listen to radio or anything. So I have literally no idea like mm-hmm. what is popular right now. So and I think that has only increased with over time. Um So I, I think for me personally, it's less of a active rejection of that and more of just being so apathetic toward it that I don't even acknowledge it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, know since i i listen to xm radio sometimes i'll listen to like the indie stations so i kind of am sort of up to date at least with what's popular within the indie music scene Mm -hmm. pop music is a whole other story um you know every once in a while some indie band will break out and you know become popular right but i've even noticed that like in some of the indie stuff i'm listening to it's like you know Today. Kinda. It's, like, indie <laughs> stuff I remember hearing, like, three or four or five years ago. I'm just like, that stuff sounds better than some of the stuff I'm hearing now. Huh. I mean, not that there's not the occasional song now that I'm just like, hey, that sounds good. I definitely feel like I'm still receptive to new music. I mean, the, the episode we made before this on Vaporwave, that's a mm. genre I just discovered probably in the last three or four months that I had no idea about, but at the same time, that genre is super freaking obscure, so... It's more like I'm receptive to any new genres of music and new styles of music more than I am just, oh, hey, this music's popular, so I'm going to automatically like it because it's popular. Whereas, you know, when we were teenagers, we were more likely to accept popular music because,
1: you know... That's what everybody was listening to.
0: Exactly. Social pecking order of school. You have to like what everyone else likes.
1: Yeah. And even, I feel like to a certain extent, some of, I think some of that is, you know, depending on, like, everybody's individual situations. Like, in some cases, it could be like, oh, I'm going to get into all this music because this is what everyone's listening to. Mm-hmm. Or people will think I'm weird if I'm listening to this other obscure stuff. But I also, at least for me personally, I think my exposure to pop music was a lot more during those times of my life. Just mm-hmm. because, like, I knew everybody who was playing that music. I heard it on the radio in the car, like, driving to school every day. Mm -hmm. so it was it was just in my life on a more daily basis i I guess as a child you have less inherent like control over every aspect of your life and you know compared to as an adult so the music you're hearing is not always necessarily like your own decision as much as just like your exposure
0: i see what you're saying it's like you're more exposed to popular music as a kid because that's what's kind of placed in front of you right as opposed to well, as an adult, it's like, you, it's much more easy. You can completely tune that stuff out because you have control over your own environment.
1: Yeah. And actually, to that point, I, uh, something I has po- crossed my mind the past couple minutes while we're talking is, I'm curious how, uh, is it Gen Z, I guess, which is the kids today?
0: <laughs> yes, the kids today. The kids today.
1: <laughs> For that generation onward, I'm curious how that's going to work. It's just kind of tying into what we were saying earlier about like how we have access to like everything now, like Mm -hmm. with kids growing up with iPads and like Spotify and all that, they have access to like music from any time period all the time. So Mm -hmm. like, will that give them more exposure to be more musically well-rounded growing up? I hope so. And would that make them more or less prone to being musically nostalgic later in life? just because they would have uh, I, so much more access to different things that it's almost like I don't know there isn't as I much specific stuff that defining their childhood
0: I don't know a lot about Gen Z but I think that being more interconnected and having and having all the world's music sort of at your fingertips uh, a genre that's really popular with Gen, Gen Z that I've kind of noticed that obviously wasn't ever popular with us is k-pop. So hmm. you have American teenagers completely enamored by a genre that's not even American not even started in America. It's literally right. pop music from South Korea. They're not even speaking. They're speaking South Korean they're speaking Korean. It's already now a big enough genre that, you know, they're charting in the U S really pretty high. Hmm. So I guess in that way, it seems like Gen Z is much more musically open. I mean, I honestly, I can't yeah. imagine a, A pop song being popular when i was you know a teenager that wasn't even in english
1: well remember um in that previous in our previous episode there was that story that you had told about maria takushi or whatever her name was from japan exactly and she had that song that was like only popular in japan in the 80s but you know they never even tried to put it out in the west because they were like oh well no one's gonna want this japanese song but then in the last, whatever ten years or whatever that was, like it blew up again on the internet, and so mm-hmm. I mean, if if she had made that song today and released it like stateside, that probably could have been really popular, just because like people today are a lot more open to like yeah music from there. I think yeah.
0: I think that's one thing that's encouraging about Gen Z is they're much more open to other cultures and other countries and other ways of thinking, which yeah. is good to be from an early age, I I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, picking one, I mean, kind of a funny example, but um, Gangnam Style, I mean, mean, I'm kind of dating myself with that reference now, being, what, seven years ago? Oh my god, how
0: how long ago was that? Hold on.
1: I think that was 2013.
0: I'm going to feel really old. 2013. Okay, that's
1: right. Where the hell did the time go? That that is emblematic of, like, our cultural shift today, that, like, Mm -hmm. a song like that can make worldwide fame in a way that it probably could not have even like 10 years prior to that.
0: True. True.
1: So um, um, moving, moving on, I guess a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Thinking about nostalgia and, all, and music and all that. There was another study in 2008. I don't think this had to do with music specifically, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, this study was by Claire Rathbone, Chris Moulin and Martin Conway, you know, just paraphrasing again, um, says, quote, Autobiographical memories are not distributed equally across the lifespan. Instead, memories peak between ages ten and thirty. The relationship between memory accessibility and and the self was explored with "I am" statements. Basically, they had subjects say "I am whatever" like ways to describe themselves, and then see like mm-hmm. what memories formed from that. You know, if you describe yourself in a certain way, then you're likely going to even subconsciously like up memories of the time in your life where you kind of started identifying that way Hmm. when a new self-image is formed it is associated with the memories that are relevant and those remain highly accessible later in life so the 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 gist of this is basically that the memories that we keep around are closely tied to our own self-identity and any especially anything that we feel strongly about with our self-identity those form like really strong memories like even later in life which is sort of interesting i also found it interesting that they said that your memories kind of peak between the ages of 10 and 30 which i guess more or less we kind of knew that to a certain extent obviously we can keep forming memories beyond that in life but though the ones that we seem to be nostalgic for are kind of in that so what you're
0: saying is it's all downhill from here for us peter
1: pretty much um (laughs) Something I was actually going to say later in the episode, but this seems like a good enough time to say it, is that I've noticed in myself, and like obviously everyone's life experiences are different, but for me personally, I feel like a lot of my own self discovery and like self identity has really come about in the last five years or so.
2: Mm.
1: And I'm 30 now. So, like, you know, I think you associate a lot of that with like obviously part of like who you develop as a person that happens much earlier in life. But I feel like like solidifying certain aspects of myself have been more recent. And I have found mm-hmm. that I, I can think of examples of music that make me nostalgic for times in the last five years, at least as much as like in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Usually, nostalgia is like, oh, that's when I was a kid. Mm. You don't really think of it beyond that. But I've, I have noticed in myself that I have nostalgic memories even like much more recent, which is kind of interesting. That's good. It's it's a good thing, certainly, but I'm almost surprised by that because like I always thought that nostalgia was like limited to, you know, maybe between the ages of ten to twenty, or even younger than that. You know,
0: I'm curious if like for you personally, if your your ability to have that nostalgia is because for what six years now you've been living on your own, um, and kind of solidifying your own. I don't know what your daily routine lifestyle whatever
1: I do i that is like really strongly tied in with like my uh, like my journey in life has in the last five or six years has been that so i I think that is why I have like nostalgia for that mm-hmm. just because I feel like a lot of my personal identity has kind of like taken form as an adult I suppose like i i I won't say that like I've changed personality-wise very much in the last 15-20 years but i think just like being comfortable with myself as a person and all that yeah
0: yeah in this way i mean I, i find this almost therapeutic to explore because i find myself as a you know single 30 year old kind of steeping myself a little bit too much in nostalgia sometimes and i always kind of wonder in the back of my head like is is all of this just a replacement for the fact that there's nothing currently going on in my life that's exhilarating enough to create new memories for me. Right. Everyone's kind of stuck in that boat right now cuz of pandemic, so I'm sure a lot of people are kind of grappling with similar issues of like, hey, you know, once the world grinds to a halt, my life actually isn't that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just been filled with, you know, monotony and daily routines it's kind of one of those things where it's like now with quarantine it's like i don't know if i'm more happy that i'm single in quarantine or would be rather be in a relationship while i was in quarantine i guess it depends on you know how far along that relationship was if it was just a couple months it's like well right. looks like we're long distance but if it's like oh we were living together then that's a whole other thing
1: we should uh, start a funk radio dating app where people <laughs> swipe people right people for funk can swipe between you and me
0: we're the only two choices it's hot or not peter and kyle (laughs)
1: um so i was among the articles i read um a gizmodo article made an interesting point about the relationship between music and nostalgia Mm -hmm. um or more specifically like music and how the brain works um paraphrasing uh says quote Listening to music is one of the most complex things you can do. There isn't a single music center of the brain, in large part because listening to even very simple music combines a bunch of distinct neurological processes. The auditory cortex is an important part of processing the sound of music. Rhythm brings in the left frontal cortex, left uh, parietal cortex, Um, and right cerebellum. Tonality reels in the the prefrontal cortex, cerebellum, and many parts of the temporal lobe. Bunch of brain shits, listeners. Um, It's a good title for the episode. (laughs) Um, It says, Another intriguing side effect of listening to music is the activation of the visual cortex. Research indicates that some music can provoke a response in this part of the brain as the engaged listener tries to conjure up appropriate imagery to match the changes and progression in the music. Hmm. Scientists believe that this is why music is largely tied to memories and nostalgia mm-hmm. is because there is that connection with the visual cortex. Mm-hmm. So like naturally, when we hear music, we're going to visualize stuff. Mm-hmm. And if we hear a song from the past, it's very likely going to conjure up those visuals of the past.
0: Oh, for sure. Past memories. Have you ever listened to music and your brain, just in like your mind's eye or whatever you want to call it, you just visualize patterns or shapes or something?
1: oh yeah yeah for sure um, and I think that's part of what they were saying here too is that we just have a natural tendency to do that to
0: kind of take music and try to uh, create a, uh, an internal visualization of it I, it's kind of like how how smell and taste are, are very interconnected I think hearing and sight mm. are very interconnected in that way
1: yeah that's actually a really good point um, didn't we do it we did an episode what was it um, can you smell music or whatever that was <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> Which was also sort of tied to, like, neurological stuff to some extent, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is this would probably be in the same playlist as that episode. Oh, for sure. I had never really thought about that before, about how music can actually trigger visual stuff in the brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a possible explanation, at least partially, why. Actually, well, that the visual thing, but also the fact that it does, music does touch so many different parts of the brain. Mm-hmm that that is another reason they were basically saying that like nostalgia can work with that is because, you know, music fires off so many different things that it's it would almost be impossible for it not to trigger
0: nostalgia. Yeah, I see what you're saying, because it, it targets so many areas of the brain that it's obviously gonna target areas that are also associated with memories. Yeah. I'd I w would be hard pressed to think of any sensory sense that's a word, uh, <sighs> that can't be tied to nostalgia. I mean there's been times touch maybe there's been yeah maybe there's been times where like I'll just be sitting and then I'll just get this smell in my nose from out of nowhere that Mm. will somehow just invoke a childhood memory I'm not even smelling anything in particular it's just like yeah it's it's the weirdest shit I don't know why it'll just happen it'll just be like oh childhood oh yeah it's like I'm snorting memories
1: (laughs) um no I, I think smell is definitely one that can trigger nostalgia or you know memories for sure taste obviously um and i mean these these are fields of study that are way beyond the scope of this podcast oh yeah but for sure visuals i think even like hell vaporwave the last episode yeah. I, again talking about that because a lot of that genre is tied to like ratio visuals yeah, and i think yeah, exactly. that can conjure up stuff for sure exactly
0: um yeah, the only one I can't think of is touch. But I, uh, then again, I don't know. Maybe. It, it,
1: it probably is. the. I'm sure there are some ways where it could happen. Like if you had a very specific blankie or something as a child. Yeah. That had a very specific texture that you felt later. And you're like, oh, shit, I remember this.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably true.
1: But that, I don't know. You would probably be more prone like, to see it. something that reminded you of it. Yeah. So I wrote down an additional thought and I I don't know what kind of discussion this will trigger, but I'm I'm sort of interested to discuss this. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing I wrote down was how can, or like, I don't know if this is ever the case for you, but like, have you ever heard certain musical cues or styles that trigger nostalgia, even for something that you didn't recall from your own past? Or like in, in another way to ask this, like how does nostalgia get triggered even from like the general essence of a musical sound versus like, a specific song like even if you heard something that sounded similar to music from our childhood could that still trigger nostalgia i would think probably so
0: yeah yeah i would think so i mean there's a lot of music that triggers nostalgia for me that wasn't even part of my childhood it's just music that was in my childhood it it, it, it didn't come out when i was a kid it was just music that my dad played or music that my mom played
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Like it was, it was from an earlier time, but you still associate it with your. Yeah, oh yeah, that's that's certainly a thing too.
0: For example, like it's vaporwave, it, it incorporates a lot of '70s and '80s sort of lounge and jazz stuff, stuff yeah. that we probably didn't experience a lot of as kids in the '90s. But it's somehow still warm to us. I don't know, man. That's that's a that's an interesting question. I don't know if I have a good answer for it. It's like it, it yeah. invokes nostalgia, but I can't exactly explain why.
1: Another another example I had in mind was um, I don't know if you remember the album Wildflower by the Avalanche's a few years ago.
0: Oh yeah, I still listen to that thing.
1: Oh yeah, and and you know that that album had a lot had of samples, a lot of like really obscure like sixties or even seventies music from various like films or TV or whatever, mm-hmm. more so than actual songs from those eras. And I think that's an example of like pulling. The essence of like musical styles from a certain time versus like, oh, this song was from that year. But the the more interesting thing to me personally is that like I feel like that stuff in that album gives me nostalgia for those time periods when I never grew up in any of that. You know, obviously oh, yeah. I'm not old enough to have better live in that time. You know, I'm not nostalgic for the 60s, but I think, you know, certain music in that that they sampled in that album I feel like was similar to stuff that i heard from like sesame street skits
0: yeah that's what i was gonna say a lot of the samples are very child oriented things that sounds creepy yeah so maybe it's not so much invoking a memory of a decade or time period as it is invoking a memory of just childhood in general
1: yeah and that's kind of what i was getting at Is was like as the answer to that question, like, why would something that old make me nostalgic? Which probably kind of honestly ties back to what you were saying, too, of, like, you being nostalgic for older music that your dad played. True. it's a kid. Not because you grew up when that was popular, but just, like, that was something you were exposed to. Mm-hmm. And in this specific case that I'm describing, it's not like, oh, that reminds me of the specific song as much as just, like, that general style of music appeared in something that I was exposed to as a kid. Mm-hmm so therefore it reminds me of being a kid in that
0: yeah respect. yeah so, so it reminds you of sesame street
1: in a way yeah cuz a lot of the skits or animations that they played back then probably to some extent now is from like that era so
0: well it's funny you it's funny you mentioned that um, i know we talked about it a little while back on the show but the whole, entire genre of chill hop mm. Can be tied a lot back to um, the channel *Tsunami*, which oh. aired in like the early 2000s, right. and it played a lot of anime, it played like *Dragon Ball Z*, yeah. *Pokemon*, uh, *Cowboy Bebop*, and the bumpers that they would put in between the show slots would have chill hop music combined with like weird trippy space visuals. And yeah, I forgot about that. That was like the first time I remember hearing anything like that.
1: That must have been like the beginning of that musical style, though.
0: Yeah, and so a lot of people pinpoint remembering the bumpers from that uh, channel to their current infatuation with chill hop music. It basically invokes a sense of relaxation as children.
1: That's really interesting.
0: I'm still kicking myself to this day when I was a kid, and Pokemon cards were a thing. I would go to the po- go to the game shop, at least probably once a week on the weekend buy a couple packs with my allowance money and this one pack that i got i opened in the shop and it had a rare raichu which is the evolved form of pikachu mm. it had a it was there was something rare about it i think it was like a misprint on the card and the shop owner was just like holy crap i mean he didn't say holy crap because i was like 10 but he literally offered to pay me 300 on the spot for that card oh wow and i said no <laughs> Because I was a dumbass, little child, little stupid Kyle wasn't thinking. Oh, I could buy a lot more Pokemon cards with that money. Mine. It was. Oh, I have something valuable. It's mine. You can't have it.
1: That's really funny. So, huh. yeah, that memory
0: will always stick with me.
1: I was actually going to ask you: Have you? Do you ever think about like getting back into like collecting the the original hundred fifty?
0: It would be impossible. They're, they're worth so much money now, you'd have to drop stupid amounts of money to find good versions of them because mm. they haven't printed them in 20 years. Yeah, I imagine. They did so. um, do a sort of a reprint or reissue of some of the original packs that came out in the 90s. Oh, cool. Like basically, a rep- basically, a reprint of those cards, and they were going around for a while, so I did snatch a bunch of those up, and I do have a reprint of a bunch of the cards from my childhood in the 90s that I keep in a box. So I'm holding on to those, That's hoping cool. that those will go up in value at some point.
1: But even if they don't, it's almost like, 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 at the end of the day, like, who really cares? I mean, to some extent, like, some people will be like, oh yeah, I, I only want original prints, like whatever. But yeah, e- yeah. even for you, be, not really being a collector necessarily, but more so keeping them just for like the emotional value or the nostalgic value. Yeah, exactly. You know, e- even if they're not exact prints of the original, like they still look the same and so they still trigger those memories and stuff.
0: They still smell the same. Yeah,
1: exactly. There have been a couple of times in the last six months or so where I've been like, I really want to buy this thing from my childhood, but I'm going to try not to.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, same here.
1: Like I was, I was really eyeing like a Game Boy Color or a Game Boy Advance recently.
0: Yes, dude, literally the same. <laughs> literally, I, I was, I don't know why. I was just like, I want a fucking Game Boy Color. Yeah. And I was looking at them on ebay and i wanted the original i didn't have the atomic purple i don't know why the atomic purple is the one that's like the clear purple uh, okay and for whatever reason i just had this itch where i'm just like i want to buy one but they were like 40 or 50 bucks really not that much money if you think about it and definitely less than they were probably back then right um i don't know if it worked or whatnot but yeah for some reason i just had this urge to buy one and like put it in like a fucking shadow box or something and just display it
1: Oh, no, I was going to buy one like, to actually play games on it.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the general gist is, you know, nostalgia is really powerful, and it can be used to get people to buy stupid shit they don't need, but it can also be used to evoke.
1: But it would also be good to buy stupid shit you don't need. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
1: Um. Yeah, so, you know, obviously listeners only a certain percentage of this discussion had to do with music, but um, whether or not it's music induced, I, I think nostalgia is definitely a part of all of our lives. And the the music part of it specifically, I think is pretty interesting. Like, obviously we didn't get really in depth with the science behind it, but, you know, broadly speaking, I do find it pretty fascinating that like even neurologically, there's such this close connection between music and memories. For sure. And they've, I even was reading that like, they were saying that like music can be a good way for like people with like alzheimer's for example to help trigger memories in people who have more or less lost their memory
0: oh yeah they've they've played they've played music for alzheimer's patients and like temporarily it will make them like recall memories that they had long forgotten it's really interesting
1: so there's definitely c- connections there you know far deeper than you know we got into here but um i kind of wanted to just talk about some of that stuff on a high level just because i didn't want this to be a two-hour episode but also like to a certain extent i want to leave that to people who actually know what they're talking about true true we uh we hope you listeners found this interesting if you uh if you have a song that triggers nostalgia in you listeners uh tell us on facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk or if you want to listen to other episodes we've done in the past, um, I know we mentioned that Vaporwave one probably a hundred times now. Um, <laughs> that was the previous episode. Um, there was also, we did an album review on that Avalanche's album a
0: couple years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I forgot what was about that.
1: the, I mentioned another one too. Um, oh, how, or. Er, can you smell music? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you can find those and many others on getyourfunk.com. Go there now. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks. This was a good discussion. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Good therapy. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, this has been your, uh, emotionally unstable host, Kyle.
1: And this has been your, uh, fuck. (laughs) I've just been some guy listeners named Peter.